Hey. Sure. Why are you clapping? <laughs> well, so I can sync the mic and the audio and the video. Oh. Okay. Hello. Welcome to another episode of the Miseducation of Ricky Medina podcast. Today, we're at my family's house because uh, I'm interviewing this guy right here, my dad. This is going to be great. Uh, this is Rich Medina. The reason why I want to interview him today, at least, we'll have another interview for more uh, embarrassing stuff. But today, I wanted to ask him specifically about education stuff because uh, you were in the military for 22 years. 20. 20 years. Um, and I actually don't. <clears throat> you ever do the thing like when you were a kid where like your friends talk about like what your parents do? And then you tell them what your parents do, and then you're very wrong for like your entire life. <laughs> okay. I feel like I do that all the time, where I tell people what you do, and I basically say you're a curriculum writer for the Navy, but I feel like that's probably not entirely 100% accurate. Uh, not anymore. Okay. So what do you do now for the, for the Navy specifically? I am the Deputy Director of Training and Operations for Naval Construction Training Center. So in normal people and not military terms, what does that actually mean you do? I'm basically like a, kind of like a vice principal of a college campus. Okay. And then you, you make the college campus that you're doing is the CBs who are like automotive mechanic and construction, right? Uh, primarily uh, construction. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's really complicated. And my main question is... Because when I was a kid, you were a mechanic. And that was. was like, for the longest time, my conception. And it was a lot easier to tell my friends that you were a mechanic. And then how did you like... Because you're technically in education now, I would say, and I would argue. But how do you feel like you got from being a mechanic to being an educator? I got told I needed to go teach or go to Afghanistan and fight. And Didn't I you do both, though? No, I went to Iraq first for a year, and after I came back from Iraq, I went to the NCO Academy uh, for the Air Force, and once I came back from the NCO Academy, I got told by my commander that I could either go to Afghanistan, since I already had combat training and expertise, then I needed somebody out there with my pay grade to go and, and lead people there, or I can go teach at the schoolhouse, and I was kind of sick and tired of having people shooting at me, so sure. I went to go teach. As one would be. Um, and then you, like, how how did how were you prepared to be a teacher? Because I feel like you were never a teacher I wasn't. Before. I almost considered going to Afghanistan. I was, <laughs> to not teach. <laughs> yeah. Because I was but terrified did, to teach. How did they, like, prep you? To, like, what did that process look like when you are in the military becoming an educator? So what we did is they sent me, um, I got orders to go to Lackland Air Force Base to go to our basic instructor training course. So we spent six weeks. I believe it's six, either six or eight weeks, uh, learning the fundamentals of education and learning educational uh, teaching techniques for teaching uh, technical trades. So you took eight weeks and then you were in a classroom? Pretty much, yeah. So the day we walked into the classroom, we introduced ourselves and we had to do a five-minute impromptu speech in front of 20-some-odd people. <laughs> Which and, is and your, a camera. your wheelhouse. Yeah. Or rather, and, I don't not know. Lack of wheelhouse, yeah. Well, I feel like... Mom and I talk about it all the time how like you were not a talker our whole lives and you were like very very quiet and then I feel like after you started talk you started teaching you like I feel like now if you were told you have to do a five minute impromptu speech you would just like roll with it probably so you like had to develop that skill to just like talk um, okay so you 
in eight weeks, I feel, I'm trying to compare it to, I, my credential program took about two years. So it's crazy to think that in just eight weeks, you were quali- qualified or prepared. I don't want to say qualified. I want to say more like you were given the skills to like become an Well, educator. you were given the skills to start the beginning process of becoming a certified instructor. So mm-hmm. after eight weeks of training, you go back, you go to the curriculum you're supposed to be learning, and then you typically would backseat or attend a course that you're supposed to be training in the future. So, so once, like student teaching? Like student, yeah. yeah. So you learn, you take notes, you have your prepared curriculum, and you learn what's supposed to be happening within the course of instruction. You take your notes, we call it personalization, you're personalizing your lesson plan, and then you practice teaching. Um, There's a variety of ways of doing it. You can do teach-backs to other instructors, you can do teaching like maybe a one-hour segment to a class, but you keep on practicing until you become certified in that particular course. And then you're, you're actually, I, well, none of us were. You teach, but while you're teaching, you have somebody who's experienced sitting in the back just in case you stumble. Um, or there's something that you can't answer because you weren't prepared for it or you just haven't been exposed to it. In other words, you still want the t- students to learn what they need to learn mm-hmm. while you're learning how to be an instructor and then have somebody in the back, be, be, you know, be kind of like an like a umbrella does that does that feel like embarrassing for maybe i feel like you probably wouldn't be but maybe a lot of like instructors that are starting out to like mess up and then have somebody say actually what no it's actually reassuring because you know you have somebody back there who's Mm -hmm. got your back just in case you stumble you're not left alone to the wolves right because students going to put place stump to chump as much as they can Mm -hmm. especially people that are you know that that i teach i teach people that are 18 to 22 23 years old Mm -hmm. and so they have that mindset of high school wanting to stump to chump so you have somebody there to back, kind of back you up. Yeah. Okay. And then after you, I don't even remember, like what, six years of being instructor, you became superintendent of the school? Uh, no. After about three years, okay. I became superintendent. And then after I became superintendent for about a year, I retired. And then now, well, directly after, I feel like you were still, because don't you still, I don't know if it's the exact same building, but you still work on the same base for sure. I do. you were before. So my history is I, I, I was an instructor, instructor supervisor, and then after that I got promoted and became the, the superintendent of the, of the Air Force portion of the schoolhouse, and then I retired. And after I retired, I came back to be a contract instructor to teach in the same area that I, was still, uh, that I started out teaching in since I knew the curriculum so well. And then after a year, the number of students that went through the Navy schoolhouse um, re- got reduced dramatically, so they let us contractors go. After that, I, I started um, attending college, and after that, shortly after that, I got hired to become a uh, curriculum writer for the uh, automotive career field of the schoolhouse that I used to teach at. Mm-hmm. So I did that for five or six years before I got hired at our headquarters to become a curriculum developer program manager at our headquarters um, managing the curriculum for civil engineer corps officer school then after that now i got the position as a deputy director of training so basically the and what i feel like this is actually what i tell people when i'm having to explain that like you became a teacher became a superintendent started uh you were uh, a civilian teacher afterwards and then you became the person who writes the curriculum and now you oversee the curriculum development for the school 
correct? I actually, I oversee the scheduling, the budgeting, um, the instructor training, uh, the master training and specialist program, um, pretty much a good chunk of what happens within a, the stuff that happens in the background that makes a school work. Mm-hmm. So I'll, besides making sure the curriculum is up to date, I make sure that the schoolhouse is prepared for inspections from higher ups and outside entities, make sure that our curriculum, if, if applicable, can be applied to civilian um, institutions. So some of the Navy folks that take some of our courses get dual um, certifications, so the Navy certifies them, and then also they get credit, college credits for their associates and bachelor's degrees once they leave the Navy. Mm-hmm. So I make sure that that happens. Um, so yeah, my hands, my hands are pretty much um, into everything. Yeah. So I help part, the, the team that I work with, we make sure that everything happens. So we've, since I became a teacher, we've joked around and you've told me that there is no way that you would be a teacher in like a middle school or a high school. And no. you feel like there's no way no. <laughs> that you could do that. However, it's very clear that your expertise in, because I don't actually know what it looks like, but I, I'm sure you'd be able to explain the difference of like, Clearly, you're an advanced educator, an elite educator, because you're taking all these like extra steps. But what what do you feel like in a military instruction environment is attractive enough to where you're like, I keep wanting, I still want to be involved in this, but the idea of teaching a high school makes you want to die. <laughs> oh, um, I, I like teaching. Well, I don't to say I don't teach anymore. I, you know, I, I manage and. My program manager, so, but I like the environment that I'm in because I get to still hang out with some of the folks that I used to work with, mm-hmm. and people that are I my decision making influences people, um, in the now and in their future. So I have instructors now that are teaching at the schoolhouse that are senior folks that I've taught at the schoolhouse. Mm-hmm. They come over and say. Mr. Medina, oh, yeah, you taught me this. And you, uh, and just So it's kind of like, you know, it's a full circle type of thing. So I get yeah. to give back to the community. Whereas the civilian stuff, I got no ties to it, honestly. There's no, there's no heart and soul, no skin in the game for, for me with a bunch of middle schoolers and high schoolers. What about teaching at like a school around here? Same thing. It doesn't really <laughs> matter if it's local or anywhere yeah. away. It just, plus, civilians are too delicate. Yeah. You know, they don't like to hear the word no, and in the military, they're learning something they need to know that it's part of a machine that keeps our way of living the way it is. Yeah. So, if you know, they got to do what they have to do, or they get out. The civilians, you don't have a choice. You have to deal with them. If, so like if, for example, if I have a student that's not learning what they need to, in theory, not all the time, but a student that's not learning what they need to, and they're not behaving the way they're supposed to, there's like steps, again, in theory, there are steps to where you give them detention or you give them suspension. And then the last case scenario is expelling a kid. What does that kind of like ladder look like for you with the person who's in the military where like you can't, maybe like behaviorally they would be kicked out, but like if a student is just not understanding how an internal combustion engine works, like you're not going to kick them out for that, are you? Um, not necessarily. There's, just like civilians, there's a process. You don't want to arbitrarily just take taxpayers' money and, and invest it in training them in basic training and everything else and then arbitrarily just kick them out and mm-hmm. throw that money away. So you want to make sure you try to save the kid and keep them gainfully employed. But if they're not suited for that career field, um, then they're not suited for that career field. That rarely happens, but um, 
because of the mannerism, the way we teach, we teach very intensely, and it's, a, it's an all-day thing. You know, we go in at 7 a.m., and they don't leave till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's an eight-hour straight day of learning. Yeah. Um, so we learn in a couple months. It takes people a couple years to learn because it's so intense and it's so you know, pointed for them to learn a specific skill set, not necessarily to learn everything about everything like you would in an academic civilian environment with English and math and sciences and so forth. We're just teaching them this is going to be your job. Yeah. This is all the encompassing points of being that person in that career field. So if they start failing, we have... Um, we have programs for them to to learn uh, after school. There's homework programs. We even go into um, do they have the um, the skill set to learn? Maybe they have dyslexia. Maybe they have reading comprehension issues or so forth. So we put them into programs like that to see if they have anything to do with it. If they just don't understand, it's just that's not their cup of tea. Then we try to cross rate them mm-hmm. into something other career fields that's. Uh, that's applicable. Now, if it's a behavior problem, that's usually different. Yeah. Um, if, if you have somebody who with, you know, doesn't have the moral character to be in the military and they show time and time again that they just are not going to learn, then, yeah. At that point, cutting the, the financial loss is better because it might affect somebody else down the road. Right, where somebody's life is online. Yeah. So. How often does that happen where you have to? Not very often. Mm. I, I I don't know, but because you know, I'm not, you know, I don't know, I have all the numbers in my my head or anything, but you know, people get kind of weeded out through yeah. recruitment, through basic training, and so forth. And the the students that go through your school, how how late after um, recruitment would they see you? Well, the school school campus that I imagine now has a little bit of everything. So mm-hmm. we have a combination of uh, Air Force and Navy students. Um, within those those folks coming right after basic training to us for the most part we have some guard and reservists come a little bit later but for the most part 90 plus percent of them are just basic training students mm-hmm. and then we have our advanced schools for other career fields so those are more senior folks that have been in three or four five ten years who know the know the ropes yeah but obviously the rules that we have set up for the basic students and then the advanced students are different. You're not going to treat them the same because they just have different experience levels. Yeah. You, um, I think one of my favorite stories from when you were an instructor was that when students would fall asleep, you would start walking on the desks. Do you feel like that's the most, <laughs> the most uh, extreme form of getting students' attentions that you ever did? Or were there, was no. there something better? Um. They can't do hardly anything now, to be honest with you. It's, people are so delicate, even in the military. It's just, and it wasn't like I was being, like I was being, you know, I wasn't harassing anybody. I wasn't being derogatory of anybody. I would just walk on the desk because we had a desk lined up in a rows and just walk on top of the desk. And obviously I was a lot slimmer than I am now. <laughs> and just kind of stand in front of them. And you, you know how people get that creepy feeling when they know somebody's staring at them? Yeah. They would wake up and, and I'd be right there and they'd be like, Hey, how you doing, sunshine? <laughs> you want to learn with the rest of us? Yes, sir. And we yeah. keep on. But that or if I had a sleepy student, I'd make him hold a pencil at arm's length like this <laughs> in front of him. And every time they drop the pencil, it was a push-up for the entire class. Oh, everybody has to do a push-up? Yep, because it was teamwork. And if that, the, team, the team let that person fail, then everybody failed. 
So every time there's a drop, it's one, two, and every and, and during the break, we all I deal with them, but we'd all do push-ups. You would do the push-up too. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do anything they wouldn't do. That's I swear you've never told me that before, but that's funny because my students I mean my students are middle schoolers, so it's very different. But whenever a student says I can't in my class, I always make everybody in the room do a push-up. And now they're like afraid to if somebody says I can't, I'm like, well, I'm sorry, what was that? And everybody's like, shut up, shut up, shut up. And they like don't want to do it. But I also that's why I'm laughing because I I also do the push up with them because of this like community. Yeah, effort. back then we were allowed to do um, push ups, um, and like I said, I would always do them with them. Um, if I had if I had an entire class, not an entire class, but if I had enough of students where that pencil thing wouldn't work with one person, because that's just that person being sleepy, right? Yeah. But if I had like several people doing it, then I'd be like, okay, time out, everybody, let's go outside and we'll do like fifty push ups. Get the blood pumping, get everybody. I was gonna say that even has like a, a, I don't want to say scientific and just blanket word it, but that has like an actual. There are studies that if you participate in physical activity, it like stimulates brain activity. So I feel like that's not even like punishment. That's a tactic. Yeah. <laughs> to get people paying attention. It worked. Yeah. People wouldn't want want to sleep in my class. Like, oh man, Sergeant McGee is gonna make me do push-ups. Yeah. Um. We. I feel like the main. Well, I don't know. We have a lot of fun conversations, fun, about <laughs> you. I don't want to say attacking because that sounds aggressive, but questioning the idea of the standards that my students, that me, I as an educator have to like impart on a student. So not to make you say more about what you're confused about with, with uh, public education, but from your perspective, like how in the military... How are you uphold, upheld to a standard to like teach a student a skill? Because like, and, and from a public school standpoint, we have these standards, they get grades. We're in theory supposed to like grade them based on how we feel like they're matching the standard and the curriculum that we develop is supposed to be about that standard. However, we have like say in what that curriculum is. So how do you feel like that's different from the military perspective? Our instructors get, receive the curriculum that's designed by people that used to be me um, on what they're supposed to teach. So they, they are, everybody's career field in the military has a higher purpose. And it's a cog within the machine of, to defend the country, mm-hmm. whether it be in a mechanic, whether it be in an electrician, or whatever. It doesn't really matter. Just your, your, little, your, your little piece of the pie matters. So with that, is that they set a bunch of um, standards of what that person needs to do to fulfill their mission. And that comes all the way down from higher headquarters. So, you know, it comes down from generals and admirals. They come down, and eventually there's a big, giant collective group of subject matter experts and um, officers and so forth that say this person needs to know this career field needs to do this for the for this particular branch of the service. Mm-hmm. Let's just say mechanics. They need to learn what being a mechanic is and what vehicles they need to maintain and so forth. So that in itself branches out into different tasks, what we call job duties and tasks. So this is your job, mechanic, duties. What are the duties within a, 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 a mechanic? Mm-hmm. Well, you got to fix cars, you got to do this, and you got to do this. So they figure all that out and all and. Uh, and the task within those duties. What do they need to know? Well, they need to know 
how to rebuild engines, rebuild transmissions, replace tires, and so forth. So all that gets set out to what they need to learn and when they need to learn it. When mm -hmm. they need to learn it, when, what they need to know when they first come out of basic, what they need to learn during the first few years of their career, mid-career, towards the end of the career, and once they become a senior manager at the very end of their career. All that is pre-mapped out. But once all that gets pre-mapped out, or what, what the requirements are set for, and then what I used to do as a curriculum designer is design the curriculum for that particular skill set mm. and design it from, from stem to stern. Hey, and it has to follow a logical sense. So I have my subject matter experts tell me, okay, what should they should learn how to do first? Well, if they're going to learn about engineering, they should know what a block is and what the head is and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't really matter what it is, but they need to learn something that's, it follows a logical sequence from point A to point B to point C to point D. And that sounds like you're assuming that every student you get is coming from like Zero. zero yes, because we have to assume that the person coming in knows zero about anything that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's how we have to teach them. So with that said, is that every single person that goes to the schoolhouse should learn the same thing because that, that person can go anywhere in the world and fill that position and mm -hmm. that duty. That's why there's no variance in the, in the education. Yeah. So we don't have that. Well, they need to learn this, but we'll put our twist to it. No, you put your twist to it, might might omit them learning something that's critical right yeah that's that actually makes a lot of sense i feel like we so if i get a person that that in theory and, it's, and there's obvious variation because different instructors are different and different things change mm -hmm. but in theory what i taught 12 years ago should be the same thing the that's same thing. learned now yeah yeah something that I, I i don't really as a dance teacher i don't really deal with this um because well frankly in through state and and federal I don't even know what to call it. Like, I guess the state of California dictates that a student has to receive 200 minutes of English English instruction per week at their school. So that's why, like, in a lot of, um, I don't know, like, if we have to do, like, for COVID, we've had to, last semester, we were COVID testing students out on campus. So we had to take some time during the day to test them to ensure they were being tested. And they took it from our class, the elective classes. And one of our elected teachers was like, what's up? How can we take, can't take it from English? And they're like, well, by law, we're not allowed to because they don't need to learn dance, you know? So what I'm seeing from uh, those, what they call core classes, though, some students, like, for example, if you have a sixth grader that's coming in at, like, a third grade level of reading, that teacher has to differentiate their, their instruction to make sure that that student is still reading at the... <laughs> It's hard. You have to like make sure they're reading at the level and they're prepared for seventh grade. But you're, some students are starting at third grade and some students are starting at kindergarten and some students are at sixth grade where they're supposed to be. So I feel like, I don't know. I, I It's hard because districts, sometimes districts aren't even, well, districts in theory are supposed to be having the same curriculum. But like our middle school, the high school that feeds into the, the, the we're the middle school to, to a certain high school that the middle school students get fed into the high school. So like in theory, they should be getting all the same education, but those kids are coming from different elementary schools. And so it's like, just nobody is at a point of being where they're like supposed to be. And because of the way that California, I don't know about all States are different, but I think the federally they're trying to make a push to not like hold kids back. So like, we don't have the option of saying, you don't know what you need to know. So you actually have to stay here. You just have to be pushed towards anyways. So I feel like teachers are trying to like accelerate learning to try to like catch these kids up. But that sounds a lot 
in some ways. I, I won't even say more stressful. It just sounds very different than like what you're what you guys have to go through, where it's like everybody is. It's it's very very structured and well well thought out. Mm-hmm. Everything is looked at three or four or five different times to make sure that everybody's learning what they're supposed to be learning um, at any given point in time. So it's not a, just an arbitrary thing. There's what we, our, our leeway for our instructors when I used to teach is my what we call C stories or how you um, how do you add context to what you're teaching. Mm. So um, if you're teaching about something and students have a hard time connecting with it, it would be a, it's it's good to have stories and or applications that you have experiences that tie them into something that either they may know and or something they may be doing in the future. Mm-hmm. So like I had students going, why do we need to learn how to rebuild alternators? That's stupid. We just go down to nap and buy a new one. I was like, no, because when I was in Iraq, we had to rebuild them because there was, an, a, there was a shortage of, of parts and we still had to have the mission still going. We still had a gun trucks going out and, and performing their mission. Mm-hmm. So I had our guys taking alternators apart, three or four different uh, alternators apart and making one or two good a, a, out of those three or four different pieces. Right. So... Um, it's not an arbitrary thing to say, well, just because of my experiences. No, you have to think of yourself, and I would tell my students this, you have to think of yourself as you're part of the team. Mm-hmm. And if you're failing part of the team, then maybe you shouldn't be part of that team. Yeah. You know, you can't have one weak link in a chain and expect it to hold, right? So um, so we, we teach them um, basically from stem to stern as much as they need, the, they need to learn. And it's not, like I said, it's not an arbitrary thing. That's part of the reason why I couldn't teach at the high school, middle school level. Because if I'm teaching something... As a, let's say, a math teacher, let's make it more arbitrary because math's more scientific. But let's make it like English or you're teaching English. You might decide that how you get to the end goal of what the district wants you to teach mm-hmm. is different from mine. Yeah. So we can have kids both in two different classes, 10 feet apart, but learn different things. Mm-hmm. And for the military, I ain't going to fly. <laughs> yeah. That's just it's not going to fly. Yeah. It's definitely like a more artistic take on education. I suppose. Um, I, I'm when you said like, oh, how are we supposed to? Why we need to rebuild alternators? I for the first time had a student. I was I don't know if you remember when I was younger, but I was very much the student that was like, why do we have to learn this? And I would ask that all the time. And I feel like I didn't start getting answers to that until like late high school, in which I started to respect the teachers and appreciate education because I was like, oh, if you have a reason that why you think that you're teaching me this, then I'm down for it. But if you're just saying, oh, I teach this because it's a standard or like it's in the book. To me, that's like, this is wasting my time, you know. And I had a student uh, last, uh, two weeks ago, for the first time. I, He's normally a really, really great kid. And he was disrespectful in, in a moment of class. And I asked him to step outside so I could just talk to him. Just because I, I wanted to see what was going on because it felt like something was wrong. Um, oh, no, wait. Did it stop recording? Did it stop recording? Check, check, check. I don't know. That's working now. Um, well, anyways, my point in that story is I had this student that asked me, why do we have to learn this? And uh, it was just for the first time I, I had like an out-of-body experience where I was like, oh, no, I'm the teacher. That's like <laughs> unwilling to explain myself. But, you know, it's different because I, I feel like maybe, again, with this artistic take on public education versus an institution like yours, I had to just convince the student that like, hey, you can... If I actually asked him, I was like, do you think I'm dumb? And he's like, no. And I was like, well, do you think I'm a good dancer? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, then just trust me. Like, don't. Don't think about what, because you don't know what you don't know. And I know what you what is, you're capable of. So just like, 
uh, trust me for a second, you know, and it worked out. But, um, yeah, your, your perspective on education is so much different than <laughs> what we have to do in like public. But that's why I think it'd be really fun to see you in a, like a high school or a middle school. Uh, I, I could just imagine you with like some of my harder students just being like, hold this pencil. <laughs> and the kids have to be like, what? Oh, that'd be great. Um, well, this is all I wanted to talk about today because I also, in the future, uh, would love to ask you about how it was educating me as a loud, 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 as you coin. Um, but we can uh, save that for another day. So, uh, thank you. Appreciate it. You're welcome. He's really uncomfortable with saying yes to this, but I got him to do it and I'm happy. Okay. That's it. Goodbye.